So if you can't stick to a food plan because there's something special on the calendar, you are consigning yourself to a life of failures and restarts, you know, breaking and resuming, breaking and resuming over and over again, right? The only way out of that pattern is to become someone who just eats the way they eat at all occasions, right? Unless you happen to be one of these blessed people that can eat a little bit at one of these occasions and then get right back to a sane, healthy way of eating. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hello and welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Before we get into today's episode, we want to announce that our next seven-day functional medicine liver detox is just around the corner. I know it's just early March, but spring will be here very soon, and that's really the perfect time to do a detox. Marnie and I are both big believers in giving your liver some love because in today's world, regardless of what we eat, we're all exposed to toxins in our environment, products that we use, household cleaners, water, food, and more, and we'd love for you to join our supportive community. We know the word detox can be a bit intimidating or maybe even overwhelming, but trust us from going through this with hundreds and hundreds of clients, you'll walk away with a sense of accomplishment, you'll walk away with tools and strategies and figuring out what works for your body because we are all unique and you will feel so proud of yourself for this accomplishment. So if you want to reduce bloating, improve your digestion, increase your energy, your mood, your sleep boost your immunity in just one week, then join our community. We're going to kick off on Monday, April 1st, but you can start a few days before or after whatever works for your schedule. Click the link in our show notes to sign up and better yet, grab a family member, a friend, a neighbor, or someone else who would like to join you on this journey. Your future self will thank you for this. And now for our amazing guest, we are very excited to share with you the conversation that we had with Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. She is the New York Times bestselling author of Brightline Eating, the official Brightline Eating cookbook, and Resume. She is also an adjunct associate professor of brain and cognitive sciences at the University of Rochester and an expert in the psychology of eating. She is the president of the Institute for Sustainable Weight Loss and the founder of Brightline Eating, a worldwide movement on a mission to help 1 million people have their bright transformations, the full physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional transformation that accompanies healthy, sustainable weight loss by 2030. This conversation was really fascinating and you're gonna learn so much from it, including Susan's personal journey of overcoming sugar and drug addiction, which eventually inspired her to create the Bright Line Eating Movement, which has and continues to help so many people. Susan shares her science-backed approach to understanding and healing food addiction, how her Brightline eating program is unique around setting boundaries around your meals rather than relying on willpower, which we know doesn't work. And she talks about how to bridge the willpower gap to govern eating using a different part of your brain so that your food becomes automatic, just like brushing your teeth. 
Susan talks about how foods like sugar and flour are highly addictive and really more powerful than drugs. She shares how people in her program are keeping their weight off longer than most other programs, including people that are on or have taken the GLP-1 class drugs like Ozempic and Wachovi. One other area we dive into is that it's not about your body type. It's not about how much you weigh, although a lot of people that do her program are doing it for weight loss, but it's really more about the addiction piece because there are many thin people out there who have a food addiction, who are addicted to sugar and processed foods or spend most of their days thinking about food. Susan shares why her program, which is so effective, doesn't include counting macros and calories and how it focuses on categories and quantities, which really helps you change your focus and mindset, especially when you're eating out. So we love this conversation so much that after we stopped recording, we started talking to her about some of these GLP-1 class drugs, and we're actually having her come back on our show with a couple other guests to talk about this topic because she has a lot of insight and experience. So with that, let's jump right into this fascinating conversation with Dr. Susan Pierce Thompson. I know we've all tried a lot of ways to feel better after a night of drinks. I found something that actually works. It's a pre-alcohol probiotic from Zbiotics. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Every time I have a Z-Biotics before I drink, I notice a difference the next day. Even after a night out, I can confidently plan on getting up early, doing my usual workouts, and I know that I'm not gonna feel sick. I can't even believe it, but Valentine's Day is fast approaching. Whether you have a Galentine's party or a date night, Zbiotics is the perfect match for your wine and chocolate pairing. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com slash AOLW to get 15% off your first order when you use AOLW at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, Head to zbiotics.com slash AOLW and use the code AOLW at checkout for 15% off. Hi, Susan. Welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. Thanks, Marnie. Thanks, Stephanie. Great to be here with you. So before we get started in our conversation, one thing that we love starting off with is what is your one non-negotiable to start each day? I meditate for half an hour, but I actually have a lot of non-negotiables. My day starts off with a pretty long um, habit stack. So uh, first thing is I tumble out of bed and I get on my knees and I pray. And actually, when I say on my knees, what I really mean is child's pose, like full prostration. That's how I like to pray is in child's pose. And um, then I read, uh, I go pee and and on the back of my toilet tank, I have a 24-hour like reader book, which lately is actually mine. My, my latest book just came out, uh, which is a daily reader. So I, I read that. Then I meditate for half an hour. Um, Hopefully yeah, not on the are, toilet. Not on the <laughs> toilet anymore. Actually, on my meditation bench, which... 
Uh, hmm. I've been meditating every morning for 20 years. And it was about 10 years ago that I discovered a meditation bench. It's like you need, it's like kneeling on the floor. Um, but then imagine you just slide a bench under your butt so that your, your, your butt is off your heels a little bit. It's supported. Um, and then the, the seat of it is tilted forward at an angle that gets your spine aligned just right. And so I can stay awake and alert and my back doesn't hurt. And huh. it's a game changer for my meditation. Cause I can't, I'm not Lotus C like that's not, that doesn't yeah. I can't do the, the, the cushion with the Lotus thing. So um, yeah, those I would say are my, are my non-negotiables. Those are the things I start my day with. Well, that's awesome. It's impressive that you've been doing a 30 minute meditation for that many years. I aspire to that. So <laughs> maybe this meditation bench could help. Um, so Susan, everyone has a journey and we'd love for you to share yours in a nutshell of overcoming your sugar and drug addiction and eventually creating bright line eating movement, which we're going to talk more about today, but just, you, you have a very interesting, I guess I'll use that word story, which we'd love for you to share with everyone. Yeah, sure. Um, well, food has really been the struggle of my life, but uh, for a little while, it looked like drugs were the struggle of my life. I had a little bit of a weight problem as a kid, not bad, but I, I definitely weighed more when I was 11 years old than I weigh now. And I was concerned about my weight, not overly, but some. So when I discovered drugs when I was 14, you know, started off with alcohol, pot, mushrooms, acid, ecstasy. Um, the mushrooms in particular, I remember one night I, I had a great time and also lost seven pounds that night, probably dehydration, but anyway. Um, wow. and, and it, it sort of burned into my brain, like, oh, this is just great on all fronts. And I found crystal meth and then dropped out of high school and found cocaine, started freebasing it and started ultimately just smoking crack cocaine. Um, found a call girl agency and funded a lot of that through prostitution. And so when I was 20 years old, mercifully, I got struck clean and sober through a 12-step program and I've been clean and sober. I haven't had a drink or a drug in 29 years. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Um, and I, 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 I work the program. Like I, I still have sponsees and work the 12 steps. Um, you know, I take that very seriously and not taking a drink or a drug is my admission ticket to life is the way I see it. Like that's the, the foundation for me. But my food addiction just took right off when I put down the drugs, uh, right off. And before I knew it, I was living with obesity and I was binging and I was miserable with food and I couldn't um, figure it out. And I was going to 12-step food meetings and not getting any better consistently. And it was a nightmare. And when I was 28 years old, I found the right formula for really what to abstain from exactly because food is tricky. You can't just stop eating. It's way harder in that way than crack cocaine. Um, and um, But meanwhile, even though I was still struggling with my food addiction, my life got way better when I put down the drugs. And uh, academically in particular, I really fell in love with school and uh, I just have to give a little shout out to the community college system around the United States. I went to San Jose City College after I got clean and did great there. And that enabled me to transfer to UC Berkeley, uh, where I started studying the mind and the brain and got a, a bachelor's in cognitive science and then went on to get a master's and a PhD in brain and cognitive sciences here at the University of Rochester, 
where I'm still on the faculty. And um, I did a two-year postdoc in psychology, became a psychology professor for 16 years, and started, um, after I lost my excess weight when I was 28, started teaching the psychology of eating and body image, and also positive psychology. And uh, in my morning meditation, uh, we were just talking about meditation. In my morning meditation, uh, about 10 years ago, the universe told me to write a book called Brightline Eating. And um, I took what I was teaching my students in the psychology of eating class about the neuroscience of food addiction and what I knew at that point about uh, how for some people with addictable brains, it's really important to like not eat sugar at all, things like that. And I and I wrote a book called Brightline Eating and that turned into a global movement that's helping a lot of people today. And so that's the story in a nutshell. That is unbelievable to me. I mean, just the fact that you were using drugs like cocaine and I think you said crystal meth and crack and those are some serious drugs, you know? Right. Not, those are yeah, hardcore not. drugs and yeah. that you were able to get yourself clean by 20 years old, get yourself back into school, get a master's degree, get a PhD, like amazing. Congratulations mm -hmm. on all of that. Thank you. Um, I would love to dive into the psychology of food addiction a little bit. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that and maybe talk about how food addiction can hijack your brain and then, you know, lead to those eating patterns that aren't so healthy. Yeah. So food addiction is real. If you look at a brain scan, the same areas that are affected by crystal meth addiction, crack cocaine addiction, alcohol addiction are affected by ultra processed food addiction. It's the same pathways. It's the same condition or disease, if you will. And just like not everyone who drinks alcohol in their life will become an alcoholic, not everyone who eats ultra processed foods will become a food addict, but food addiction is pretty prevalent. And my research shows that roughly one third of the population is pretty susceptible to food addiction, like really susceptible to it. One third is moderately susceptible. And interestingly, one third of the population is not susceptible at all. And, you know, these are folks I was just reading. There was an article that came out in the Wall Street Journal that someone sent me that was just all about how when you try to abstain from sugar altogether, it just makes you crave it more. And that a better approach is to give yourself full permission and make sure to have lots of candy around so that you never, you know, feel like you need to overindulge because, you know, it's always there and that, you know, you might indulge for a bit, but then you'll get tired of it and you'll it'll just become really moderate and like a like a second thought. But I really think that there's two kinds of people in this world, people for whom scratching the itch scratches the itch and people for whom scratching the itch makes the itch itchier. Mm. And for me, you know, having sugar around is not a strategy for healthy living. It's just not. And, and you know, the brain research bears that out, right? Dopamine downregulation is a real thing and it causes overpowering cravings for a lot of people. Um, and just like, you know, I would never try to smoke crack in moderation. I don't try to eat sugar in moderation either. Well, and you brought up that article too. And there's a lot with intuitive eating or like as parents of kids, those parents, you know, you'll hear parents say, oh, well, I want to have the food in the house because I don't want them to go to the party and all of a sudden be eating, you know, the kid in the corner that's eating three pieces of cake and all the Doritos because I don't have it at home. But to your point that everyone is different, I think, you know, it's bio-individuality. And just like we talk about a lot on this show, 
there's no one approach that works for everyone. And I love that you're elevating this fact that yes, for some people, it like you wouldn't just say, oh, I'm going to, you know, smoke crack once a week and that's okay. That's moderation. I'm living, you know, 80, 20. No, right. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah. So I just think that this needs to be elevated. And I know you've, I think I've heard you say before that you've even like tested your genes and how does your genetic makeup potentially impact this addiction? Well, addiction is certainly genetic. It yeah. really is. Um, it it also is environmental. So um, a high adverse childhood experiences or ACE score uh, increases the likelihood of addiction as well. And we know that from mice, you know, you can take you, so you can you can control the genes of mice and you can have a litter of what should be non-addictable mice like they have no genes for addiction but if you if you rear them in abusive conditions they that some percentage of them will turn into little addict mice so yeah. we know that it's it's both genetic and environmental um you raised some really important points in what you just said one that i just want to highlight is that the whole notion of moderation really depends on the entities involved right the moderate amount of cyanide for a human being is none and you know the moderate amount of sugar for me is none like the, the, i just don't do well with sugar and so as much as i've tried the intuitive eating experiment for me and i really have like hired experts and tried to make that work. It just doesn't work for me. When I give myself permission to eat all foods, it escalates and I find myself not able to stay in alignment with the way I'm eating. And it just, you know, in contrast, when I eliminate the foods that drive me crazy, I feel completely free, like utterly free. I'm not missing it, wanting it. I'm like a non-smoker who hasn't had a cigarette in 10 years. I'm not thinking about it anymore. I'm over it already. You know, I've moved on. It makes me think about just listening to you talk about it. Like, so you know yourself, right? Like you've gone through all these experiences and figured out what works for you. But like, you know, I have three kids. Stephanie has three kids. Like, And I have three kids. I, I have addiction <laughs> in my family. Mm -hmm. um, my father is a recovering addict and I do not believe I have an addictive personality, although I've never allowed myself to like get thrown into something so that. I, I don't know. I don't think I do. But, you know, as a child growing up, you have to figure out like what works for you. You said sugar does not work for you hands down. And it would be so cool if we just knew, right? Like growing up, if we just knew what worked for us or, you know, you said a third of the yeah. population is very susceptible and a third is moderately or can't yeah. have sugar at all and whatever, like, you know, trying to figure that out and then live your life accordingly seems daunting in itself almost, right? It's like you have to go through it to figure it out, unless you're just saying, I'm leading a life of absolutely no sugar, which for a lot of families is very difficult. Yeah. So there is a quiz. If you are a, an adult and you've lived enough life to have a sense, there is a quiz that's pretty simple. It's, the, it's at foodaddictionquiz.com. And it's very simple to find out where you're at in that one-third, one-third, one-third scheme. You're going to get a score from one to 10. The lower third, I would actually say, is a score of one to four. And I would say the middle the middle is actually pretty small. It's like five and six. And then the upper third is going to be seven, eight, nine, ten. And that's just my experience working with a lot of people who've taken that quiz is... Um, you might consider four in the middle. Yeah, maybe it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Um and so it can be pretty easy, but you bring up kids and I have three kids too. And 
Uh, I don't make my kids abstain from sugar. They're on their own path. And I'm kind of with those parents who say, uh, I don't know that it's that helpful to make your home the purest food environment in the world, because I do agree that then it just creates sneak eaters. Um, I think that, you know, to be honest, I think feeding kids in this food environment is just about the hardest thing imaginable. <laughs> I mean, you're you're just, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like yeah. you go to a restaurant and the kids' menus are all ultra processed foods. They're going to go to a birthday party and then the cake, the pizza, and the ice cream is all going to be partnered with the excitement and the thrill and the, it's just terrible, right? And I just want to put a plug in for us societally to really take a look at that because we are living in a world where um, you know, right now, 3 billion people are living with overweight and obesity. It's about to be 4 billion before we can even just blink our eyes and it's climbing unabated and it's not benign as much as the health at any size movement wants to convince us that excess weight is benign. It's really not. And as you know, we're raising a generation of kids who are on average going to have diabetes by the age of 40. You know, just since we started this conversation, several people have had their leg amputated in the United States, thanks to their type two diabetes, and 55% of them will have their second leg amputated in just a couple of years. Like if you don't think that it's addictive, you know, just take a look. You'd, you'd think that having one leg gone already would be enough of a deterrent, right? But so the way we're raising our kids around ultra processed foods is one could say criminal right? Like we know already the data are in about what this kind of food environment does to a person. And yet we're just choosing to expose them and normalize those foods. Right now, two thirds of the foods they're eating are ultra processed foods. Mm -hmm. And so it's the hardest thing as a parent. And I, I don't know that I've struck the perfect balance. I don't, I don't think there's a way to kind of get through alive, to be honest. I mean, unless we're just going to take our kids and flee to a commune where they're just eating brown rice <laughs> and tofu, right? Like there, there's no way because they're going right. to go to the movies. They're going to go to the birthday party. They're going to go to the religious occasion or the whatever, you know, and the buffet is going to be there. And so we, I think the best we can do is, is keep meal time and meal structure, be good eaters ourselves. The research is really strong mm -hmm. on that. Your kids on average will grow up to eat like you eat. So get your own eating in order. And then just pray and hope. But, you know, I'll know that that we've won when we live in a world where neighbors move into the neighborhood and you would never bring them a plate of brownies because you would be <laughs> thinking they might have heart disease, right? They yeah. might not be able to stop with one or two of these. They might wolf down the whole plate before bedtime and then feel sick and hate themselves. And why would I do that to them? Why don't I bring them a bouquet of flowers and say, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm so glad mm -hmm. you're here. Love that. That's such a great, simple idea that we don't even think, you know, we may not think about, but you're right. Like put yourself in their shoes. You don't know what they're going through, you know, like you wouldn't bring a bottle of wine over if you knew someone was a recovering alcoholic. So it, so the quiz that you mentioned, Susan, is that the one that's on your website? Yeah. So it's got okay. different names, food freedom okay. quiz, food addiction quiz, uh, the so, susceptibility quiz. Yeah. We'll link it up for everyone. So I did go on there and do it because I did, Marnie and I both had some genetic testing done based on a guest that we had from the DNA company. And it didn't necessarily measure whether you were test the gene for addiction, but it was for like behavior. So are you more tend to binge eat, stress eat, anxiety, you know, that sort of thing. And I was susceptible to that. 
So I I scored very high, unfortunately, on your quiz. And not that I was shocked. And I think it it tells you the instructions are to do it sort of during your, I don't know how you phrased it. Yeah, but don't do it necessarily think, right now, but think yeah. back to a time in your life when- When your eating was at its worst, like right. a three-month stretch of time where your eating was at its worst. Yes. Yeah. So it's not Are you today. willing to share your number from one to 10? You, you, you didn't want to say. You well, it, it was like a nine. I'm a 10. I mean, it was, I'm a it 10, was, so. it was high. And yeah. I guess what I relate to a lot of what you're doing, we want to dive into the actual like approach that you have is this bright line. And some people would look at someone like myself or Marnie at different points where we've like restricted certain foods or, oh, she's not going to eat that food or she won't eat the sugar or whatever. But for me, I know I, I can't just have one. I'm not just going to have one of something. And it is going to be, maybe it's not 10, but it's going to be a couple more than what I want. So I am much better off just saying no, but I'm happy with it. To your point, I don't feel rest. I don't go to a party where there's like the Costco cake and the cheap pizza and be like, oh, I want that. And I'm depriving myself. I look at it. And I'm like, I don't even want it. And I'm going to eat something that's going to make me feel better. So I love that you're getting into the psychology of this, because I think sometimes you can look at an individual who is being quote restrictive with their food and, you know, either make fun of them or poke fun of them or think there's something wrong with them or they're not living a life or having fun or that sort of thing. And it's like, no, that's what works for them. Like they are genetically and environmentally different from what you, where you are. Yeah. Anyway. It's well, kind I mean, of shocking how much we've normalized harming ourselves and poisoning ourselves with food, right? If you just look at it, like the fact that people would seriously um, haze someone, you know, for like saying no thank you to dessert is like, it's pretty shocking, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and I and then a question I have for you, and I think I know what the answer is, but I'm just curious. If you want to give yourself a treat or like something, is it is it not food related? Is it like, I'm going to go treat myself to a massage or yeah, a bubble bath or, you something know, in the usually, I mean, I'll, I'll go out to dinner for a treat with my husband and, and enjoy the evening. And I can pretty much eat anywhere. I mean, I would never go to like a pizza hut that didn't have a salad bar and literally, literally all they serve is pizza and soda. No, I can't eat dinner there, but I can eat. I mean, they have produce and protein everywhere, right? Like mm-hmm. I can eat anywhere. I can get a bright meal at an airport at four in the morning. Like really, I'm fine. I can eat anywhere. So um, I will sometimes treat myself with food, um, but within the boundaries of of the bright line eating way of eating. And yes, your point is really important, which is that food is not the best treat, right? Um, Food is really a poor proxy for most of the things that we're using it for. It's not the best comfort. It's not the best excitement. It's not the best treat. It's not the best human connection. Like it's it's kind of a mediocre <laughs> um, way to achieve any of those things. So yeah, I've thought long and hard about what is really comforting, what is really exciting, and uh, what is what really rings my bell. And um, and I've learned how to live full on to the edges of my life. Like I keep my food black and white because I am living my my life in living color. And I don't Mm -hmm. have time to be thinking about what I've eaten or not eaten, whether I'm on my plan or off my plan, how many miles, how many calories, how many pounds, like that creates a very uh, tepid black and white, like, like gray scale life for me, where I'm just thinking about my weight and my food and my, how I just wish I were more self-actualized and, uh, you know, I know how to treat myself today 
for sure. So what would be an example of some a way you treat yourself? Um, well, it could be, uh, so I, I, okay. So, um, lately I like to, uh, go into the infrared sauna and watch a Netflix episode. So I'll bring my bottle of water, I'll sweat, sweat like a pig and I'll, and I'll watch a really good episode of something that I'm like really engaged in right now. Or, um, I'll grab my phone and my earbuds and I'll go for a hike um, up behind my house and call, like just make phone calls to dear friends that I just haven't talked with for a while. And I just want to nourish myself by talking with yeah. some of my favorite people and I'm hiking in the woods and it's a beautiful day. Um, I'll grab my 12 year old um, and a cup of tea and we'll play gin rummy for two or three hours and we'll laugh and we'll, you know, we'll do that. Um, I will take a bubble bath. Absolutely. I've got a gorgeous bathtub with a beautiful view. And, um, you know, my house looks out to a park behind it. And it's just, yeah, I'll take a bath and maybe listen to some like really uh, elevated, like gorgeous music and just leave my phone in a whole different room and just like big frothy bubbles of beautiful scents. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things, you know. Sounds so much better than a cheap dessert. Yeah, yeah, right. All of those things. Yeah. Or like you're, a really you're good connecting. orgasm with my husband. Right. <laughs> you know, like baby, yes. come on. I need a yes. little something here. Yep. <laughs> um, so one of the things I know you've talked about specifically for yourself is like sugar and flour and how certain food is more addictive and harder than drugs. So, and I think those two components are very powerful. And there's been like show, mm-hmm. you know, scans of the brain and all that. So I don't know if you want can get into that a, a little bit more, but like, how, and just talk about like how long it took for you to break your addiction to sugar. Cause I know there's listeners out there that will say that they're addicted to sugar also. Um, yeah. So I have data on this actually over thousands and thousands of people. Cause we, we have um, tens of thousands of people who've signed up for the bright line eating bootcamp now. And we, we've collected data on them. So we know how long it takes for the addiction to go away on average. And it's, um, it's two months. It's two months. And really the cravings and the hunger only go up for the first week or 10 days. And then they go down steadily and pretty much linearly after that to the point where the hunger and the cravings are little to no hunger or cravings anymore ever after the first two months. Now, keep in mind, people have lost a ton of weight during that time. People lose as much weight as fast on Brightline Eating as they lose on Ozempic and Wagovi. Like that's how much and how fast people are losing weight and they keep it off like they do as long as they keep taking Ozempic and Wagovi, they'll they'll keep it off. But with Brightline Eating, they keep it off. We have a six-year follow-up study that we're doing right now, but we've published two-year data uh, with no weight regain, not even a pound of weight regain on average in the cohort over two years. Um, and just to say, of course, some people regain some weight, but uh, some people keep losing weight, right? So it offsets. So in the cohort, no weight regain um, wow. on average. And most people keep their initial boot camp weight off uh, forever. Um, Would you say that the program is more geared towards um, overweight people as opposed to maybe someone that's, you know, skinny fat or, you know what I mean? Like they're skinny naturally, but they're eating a boatload of sugar and it's still not healthy for them. I would say 
our program is primarily targeted at people who are sevens, eights, nines, and tens on that food addiction susceptibility scale. So it's, so not it's a scale from one type. to 10. It's not about the body type. Okay. It's more about the addiction piece. Um, mm-hmm. Someone who's low on the addiction scale, but has a, a bunch of weight to lose, they can use Brightline Eating to lose that weight and it'll work if they want a structured way of eating. If they're like, you know what, I just need to lose this weight and I'm I'm willing to submit to the Brightline Eating approach, I, I just want this weight off. But they'll feel a little bit like a fish out of water just with how much the program orients as a recovery journey from addiction, right? And they'll be like, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me. I'm just here to lose weight. Um, Interestingly, people who are underweight are almost as likely as someone who's living with extreme morbid obesity uh, to be addicted to food. Um, So it's really not about body size. It's about addiction. Marty and I are thrilled to share two new products that we've both been using daily for several months and are loving the results. Do you need better nutrition, improved energy or focus, but don't know how? Well, Energy Bit Spirulina Algae Tablets are your answer. They are effortless to take and organically grown. These bits of food are 100% spirulina, which is the most nutrient-dense, antioxidant-rich, high-protein food in the world. You just swallow or chew a few tablets each morning or whenever you are tired or hungry to improve your mitochondria, your energy, your gut health, focus, and reduce your hunger and cravings. They also replace the need for your caffeine. Energy Bits are safe for the entire family and pets love them too. Maybe you wanna improve your gut health, support your detoxification, or add more green nutrition into your diet. Recovery Bits chlorella tablets are the perfect solution. Recovery Bits USDA certified chlorella tablets are bits of food that strengthen your immune system, protect you from colds or viruses, remove toxins, speed recovery from a sports injury, and add vegetables and greens to your diet. This will help ensure that you're getting your greens on a daily basis. The recovery bits also help you enjoy better sleep when you take them before bed. I've noticed a big improvement in my sleep. I'm sleeping much more soundly, not waking up at night. And when I do wake up in the morning, I have so much energy and just feel really well rested. So if you're ready to supercharge your energy, health, and longevity, head on over to energybits.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S.com. Use the discount code LIVINGWELL for 20% off your entire order. I think that's a really important point to make because I think there's a lot of adults and parents that have kids that are like, oh, my kid's addicted to sugar, but you know, they're an athlete and they're running around and the kid's like this big. And so doctors aren't worried about it. No one's talking to the parent about your kid's sugar addiction when you go to for a pediatric visit, right? They're just looking at their BMI, their body weight, whatever. Um, That's a really important distinction. It's not talked about enough. Yeah. And you well, held and- up your finger this big, like a, like a skinny, like one yeah. finger's width yes. of, of body, right? Like skinny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and th- I just want to throw out one more point then, you know, there's a lot of young girls walking around with like anorexia and di- various eating disorders. I mean, they definitely, or I shouldn't say definitely, but most likely have some sort of food issues, food addiction issues, right. control issues. Totally. Would this type of thing work with in that scenario? Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, I used to teach the psychology of eating and body image in college, right? So I've got 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 year old students in my class. And I would always do this exercise at some point during the semester. 
um, I would draw a big circle on the board and I would say, this is a pie chart. And this graph here represents all of your life's focus, what you're spending your time on, what you're thinking about, what you're doing, what you're intending to do, everything you're thinking, feeling, doing, focusing on this. Okay. That's the big whole pie chart. Now divvy it up. What percentage of it shaded out on your page is taken up by everything related to your food, your exercise, your weight, what you've eaten or not eaten, whether you're on your plan or off your plan, how many miles, how many calories, how many pounds, please shade out the, the area that's taken up by that. And I would almost always have someone start to cry during mm -hmm. that assignment. And she would usually, usually be uh, in a beautiful, healthy sized body, but really, really sick with food addiction. And I would come over to her, you know, with kindness and compassion and say, you know, are you okay? You know, do you want to share uh, what's going on? And, and um, she would just choke back tears and say, 95%, 95%. No, that's the issue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so what can someone do? Like, what are the first steps in your program? And maybe talking about how Brightline does differ from some of the other programs out there. Cause it's not just about weight loss. Like you said, no, it's not. overcoming the addiction. Yeah. And, and getting free, getting free. Um, we were completely different than all the programs out there. Um, uh, so here's some examples, you know, you go to a pro, I mean, like I, you know, let Noom, Weight Watchers, whatever. Right. And just about every program out there is going to say, eat meals and snacks, you know, and we will say, no, 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 don't eat meals and snacks, eat meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, nothing in between. You might say, well, why what's wrong with a snack? And what I say is the issue with snacking and grazing and not having boundaries around your meals is that it sets up decision points all throughout your day where you're going to fall into the willpower gap at some point where uh, the part of your brain called the anterior cingulate cortex that is governing um, your your temptation control, your your willpower, if you will gets depleted by 15 minutes of hard use of making decisions, regulating your emotions, sitting in traffic, checking email, modern life burns out that part of the brain. And then suddenly it's Friday night, you're exhausted and you're ordering a pizza and you know, that's not on your plan, but you're doing it anyway. And that's falling into the willpower gap. And the way to bridge the willpower gap is to govern your eating slowly over time, make sure that it's governed by a different part of your brain, not that part. The part of your brain, the basal ganglia, that's that's carrying out automatic behavior sequences, just like you brush your teeth morning and night. Routinely, without thinking about it, you're brushing your teeth morning and night, whether you're tired, whether you're sick, whether you're traveling, whether you've been up late, you're still brushing your teeth. Now, that's not everybody, but it's 95% of people are brushing their teeth consistently. Um, and most everyone can at least relate to the notion, Right. But how successfully would you be brushing your teeth regularly if you had to do it six times a day? You would not be successful. It's the very narrow band of the time of day and the location cues that cue you to do it and kick off the behavior sequence. Now, breakfast, lunch, and dinner are automatizable in that way. You can wire breakfast into a morning routine. You can wire dinner into an evening routine. And there still is that glorious midday pause where you can have a lunch sequence that's wired up. As long as you've brought your lunch with you, you know, boom, you're just opening the lunch bag and eating your lunch at lunchtime. 
But six times a day, forget about it. You're going to be making decisions. The average person wakes up not knowing what they're going to eat that day. They're making 221 food-related decisions every day. And their brain is in no shape to succeed at carrying that out consistently, right? Um, so that's one example. They say meals and snacks. I say, no, 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 three meals a day. They say, it's a healthy, go get exercising. You want to diet? Exercise too. And I say, hold up there, hold up there. Oh, Nelly. If you want to get the food right, you got to prioritize it and get it wired in and automatic before you go taxing your brain with things like exercise, because it is going to take some willpower to set up the system when it's not automatic yet. And so hold off. Don't start exercising now. This is not the time. Get the food right first. Give yourself a few months to get this system really automatic. Out there, they'll say cheat days, free days, um, treat yourself with food. You know, you can do our plan and eat all your favorite foods. And I say, good luck with that. Come see me when you're really convinced it's not working anymore. Because the reality is if you give up the foods that are causing you difficulties and driving you crazy, it'll be hard at first, but pretty soon you won't miss them anymore. You'll be done with them. You draw a firm, clear, bright line between you and those foods, just like- So is that like forever? Like is that a bright line- it's one day at a time. One day what, at a time. One so day that's at a time. the philosophy, one day at a time. Absolutely. Because what happens is for, I can't do this forever is the addicted yeah. brain thinking right. this is hopeless. But mm-hmm. what happens is in two months, the hunger and the cravings are completely gone. And you still have some occasional food thoughts left, but they're not cravings anymore. They're very faint thoughts that if you are working a a solid program and you have friends and bright line eating and you have an identity as a bright lifer, it's pretty easy to remind yourself, no, that's not my food. That's actually poison to me. And I don't want it back in my life. So we don't say we don't say it's forever because that just feels hopeless to someone who in their current state of brain and mind isn't going to be able to face that concept it's like there's certain pat things that are just lies right like i have $10,000 in an offshore account and if you just give me your banking details i'll send you the money right <laughs> that's yeah. just a lie right <gasps> yeah no one can abstain from ice cream and pizza forever that's just a lie It doesn't actually, life doesn't play out that way. So do it today, see how it goes, re-up tomorrow, and don't worry about the, I can't do this forever thought. It's a lie thought. It doesn't, your life doesn't show up in a series of forevers. It shows Mm -hmm. up one day at a time. So it will be different by the time you get there, whatever you're imagining. Can I just tell you a quick story about it? I think your listeners will really like this. We love stories. Yeah. I got sober when I was 20 years old. I'd been drinking and drugging hard my whole so-called adult life since I was 14. I got sober when I was 20. Do you imagine what my first thought was? How am I going to get through my 21st birthday? I can't get sober. I'm 20, right? And I was going to meetings and they were like, wait, when's your birthday? Your 21st birthday? And I was like, it's in 10 months. And they're like, why don't you just stay sober today and not worry about that? And I'm like, but I'm about to turn 21. I can't, this isn't the time to get sober. I'm only 20. They're like, why don't you just stay sober today? So enough people told me, don't worry about it. Stay sober today. Trust that it'll work out. I just took my sobriety one day at a time. Now I'm like a few months from my 21st birthday. And someone says, Susan, are you going to the convention? I say, what convention? And they say the international convention, it's every five years. It's coming up. It's in San Diego. A bunch of us are getting in a car and heading down. Do you want to come with us? I say, oh yeah, when is it? 
They say it starts June 29th and it goes until July 3rd, 1995. I say, holy smoke doodles my 21st birthday is June 29th. Yeah, I think I want to come with you. And on my 21st birthday, I was sober dancing in the streets of San Diego with 60,000 sober alcoholics from around the world. Mm. I and I was, chills. <laughs> I couldn't have yeah. been happier to be sober on that day. Right. I couldn't have been happier to be sober on that day. So just do it for today and let, mm-hmm. let the future take care of itself. It always does. Okay. That is powerful, like simple and very powerful advice. Because everyone's always thinking ahead to the next event, the next holiday, which we've got Thanksgiving. And if you celebrate Christmas and New Year's and all the holidays. And, you know, Marnie and I both work with clients, a lot of them women and moms who are trying to make changes to their diet. And what advice would you have for someone? And maybe depending on where they are on your scale, but just regardless, someone is trying to make these changes. But feeling this emotional attachment to the family and the friends and the traditions and the comfort food and all that. How can they still enjoy, have a wonderful holiday? Because we, we've associated these holidays and gatherings with food. Yeah. And how can they still have this colorful life like you talked about? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a great question. Well, first of all, you got to understand that real behavior change uh, comes from an identity and a system. You have to really be someone who does a certain thing. Like a vegetarian just doesn't eat meat, even on Thanksgiving, right? Because they are a vegetarian. And the system that they use is that they don't eat meat, but that's, you know, for, for a food system, you need, you need, you need more than that, right. For the whole bright line eating system. But, um, true to your point, it, you know, November is Thanksgiving and then December is the, is the whole holiday rigmarole. And then it's new year's Eve with champagne and, you know, things. And then it's February, which is chocolate season. Right. And then, you know, before you know it, it's, uh, it's fourth, it's like 4th of July parades and picnics. And there's, you know, those foods. And then it's, oh, it's your birthday in there somewhere. It's your husband's birthday in there somewhere. It's your mother-in-law's birthday in there somewhere. It's your kid's (laughs) birthday in somewhere. Then you got friends coming in from out of town. And before you know it, you're going away for the weekend. And then there's the cruise coming up and then it's the holiday season again. So if you can't stick to a food plan because there's something special on the calendar, you are consigning yourself to a life of failures and restarts, you know, breaking and resuming, breaking and resuming over and over again, right? The only way out of that pattern is to become someone who just eats the way they eat at all occasions, right? Unless you happen to be one of these blessed people that can eat a little bit at one of these occasions and then get right back to a sane, healthy way of eating. I'm assuming that you're not that or you wouldn't be, I mean, maybe you are, right? But the people who come to me are not that. It doesn't work mm-hmm. out for them. And so our biggest boot camps always start in October. And we carry people through the holidays in our boot camp. And there are mo- our most successful boot campers. And they demonstrate to themselves that they can stay bright one day at a time through the whole holiday season with the Bright Line Eating Boot Camp happening uh, and surrounding them. And what we teach them to do is tap into the true meaning of the holiday and make it about the real connection, right? Thanksgiving tells you what it's about. It's about gratitude and service. And so show up and really, really be attentive moment to moment to what you're grateful for. Really be of service. Look for who's sitting alone. Play with the kids. Fill the drinks. Peel the potatoes. Go talk to someone you haven't seen in a long time and say, what's new in your world? 
What's got your attention in life these days? If you're going to a December party and you don't know anybody and you feel like a fish out of water, play a game with yourself and say, on the drive home, I will remember five people that I met tonight and three things about each of them. And I will remember their names as well. And go around and look for who else looks awkward and and introduce yourself to them and really listen to what they have to say. And if you've forgotten their name already, ask them again. Say, you know what? I forgot your name. Will you tell me again? And you can get through a party like that and come home. You know, you've eaten your protein and your produce. You get into the car. You feel like a million bucks. You maybe made a friend, maybe not but you're putting your head on the pillow feeling so grateful for the holiday season and you don't need to hurt yourself with food to have a good time. It's a lie. It doesn't work. And it sounds like your experience would be so much richer because you're so really richer. engaging with whatever it is you're doing instead of just focusing on the food. Yeah. Well, and you really said something, work. you said that connection and we need connection more of us. Yeah. And especially, you know, it's still a couple of years off out of the pandemic, but we're so glued to our phone and our busy lives and all this. And so I think that's a key component. And if nothing yeah. else that people do at social gatherings is connect with one person, like you said, and really be present and focus and listen, which we're not, no one does enough listening. Totally. Um, most people don't. So those are such great tips that yeah. you can incorporate into your daily life. So I'm wondering as you talk about the bright line eating way or method, is fruit allowed? Is that considered a sugar or are you just talking about processed sugars? Great question. Okay. Here's the bright line for sugar. Whole fresh fruit of any and every kind is completely allowed. Servings of it, right? You're not going to sit down and eat two honeydew melons. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But, uh, yeah. So whole fresh fruit. Absolutely. Big yes. When on the weight loss plan, you'll get a serving at breakfast and a serving at lunch, two fruits a day. Once you've lost your weight, you might get a third fruit at dinner, depending on your metabolism. Um, fruit juice and dried fruit are not on the plan. And what about alcohol? Alcohol is not on the plan. Um, and honey, molasses, maple syrup, stevia are not on the plan. Anything added to food to make it sweeter is not on the plan. Artificial sweeteners disrupt your gut microbiome are just mm -hmm. as addictive as sugar, make you eat more downstream. They're a mess. They actually activate every single one of the pathways of sugar addiction, plus a couple extra, like they're really, really toxic and bad. Um, so yeah, but whole fresh real fruit is on the plan. And okay. so what about for, if you're on the weight loss plan, are you counting calories, macros? Like, are there any no, food no. categories? Okay. Yeah. No macros, no calories. Macros and calories are not automatizable. When you go to a restaurant and you're counting calories or thinking about macros, you're looking at the menu first with the question of what do I feel like eating? That's the mm -hmm. wrong question. You don't want to ever look at a menu thinking, what do I feel like eating? When you have a, a food plan of categories and quantities of food, like let's say you're in the bright line eating, you know, you just started bright line eating. Your dinner is protein, cooked vegetable, salad with oil and vinegar on it. Okay. Or dressing, whatever, dressing without sugar. Um, okay. So now you're looking at that menu and you're thinking, where's the clean protein? Like clean meaning like not breaded, right? Not deep fried, mm -hmm. not breaded. You're just looking for grilled, you know, whatever. Um, great. You found some grilled salmon. You found a filet. You found some grilled tofu. 
you found some black beans, you're good to go, right? So there you got your protein. Now you're looking for where's the vegetables. Then you're looking for where's the salad, right? So um, with that in mind, literally you can go to an Italian restaurant and walk in, eat and leave and feel like you never even noticed that there was pasta or pizza on the menu because you weren't looking for it. You were asking yourself, where's the vegetables? And your eye immediately went to the sides and skimmed and found the broccolini or the sauteed spinach. You knew you were good there. Can you see it? Can you see how your your yeah. eyes and your cognition is completely changed by having a food plan of categories and quantities? It makes it really automatizable to eat out. I feel like that's how I eat. Like I literally, like what you just described is how I look at a menu. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So Susan, I'm wondering if you can share a story about a client that was in the Brightline eating program, like a success story of someone in particular. No names, of course. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, well, uh, I'll call her Jay. Um, she came in in 2015 and she, um, I think she was five foot three and 240 pounds or something. Wow. Um, and she had diabetes. She'd just been diagnosed with diabetes and her cholesterol was sky high. Her blood sugars were sky high. Her blood pressure was sky high. She'd been put on blood pressure medicine already. And now she was about to be put on diabetes medicine. And she heard me describe the science of her brain, the willpower gap, the dopamine downregulation. And she decided to try bright line eating. She stayed bright. She lost her excess weight. She got down to about 118 pounds. I think she ended up stabilizing at about 122 pounds. Her diabetes completely went away. Her blood sugar is normal. Her cholesterol is normal. Her triglycerides are normal. Her blood pressure is normal. She's not on any medications. And um, so she stopped eating sugar and flour. And what's interesting is her husband, who was always a bean pole, never had any food issues particularly. I think he's a one or a two on the food addiction scale. She was a 10. Her husband had this eczema that was itchy and covered his body and it would itch and he would scratch it and it would bleed. And so they used black sheets because oh. any other color of sheets like would get blood stains on it. He wore black t-shirts underneath all of his clothes because of the scabs and the bleeding of his skin. Wow. And when she stopped buying the snack, the packaged snack foods that she used to buy, He'd already tried going gluten-free and things like that. It wasn't that, but it was the flour. Like gl gluten-free foods are some of the un most unhealthy foods, right? Like mm -hmm. just made out of potato starch and rice flour and things like that, right? But when you do bright line eating, you don't even, even eat those foods. And his skin completely cleared up. And I mm -hmm. went to visit them at their home in California. And he just looked at me with tears in his eyes. And he said, I never, ever would have tried the dietary changes. But just since my wife stopped buying these foods, I stopped eating them. I didn't really care. And I cannot tell you the change in my life from, you know, now that my skin is cleared up, I never would have found the solution. Um, so there's, there's a story. Wow. That's, That's extremely so, moving and yeah. And it, wonderful. I mean, that must feel so amazing to you that you could have such an impact on someone else's life. And two people it, with one, you know, it's yeah. And it's yeah. just like for parents out there, if you're looking to make changes, think about the profound impact that you could be having on your spouse, your partner, your children by just making some small changes. Yeah. And it's and not I, to say no. it's easy either. I was just no. going to say, like, this is not easy stuff. 
It's no. not easy, but but I, if I may, I'd just like to wrap up by sharing some published studies. You know, I've shared some of it, like the fact that that our weight loss results look just like Wagovia and Ozempic, right? Which is stunning. Yes. It's the only behavioral program that can say that. Published results in the Journal of Nutrition and Weight Loss. That's amazing. Um, but we also published a study with 4,509 participants, a very large sample size, um, with participants of every age, right? Uh, from late teens all the way through early 80s. And the data showed that in Brightline eating, people in the second half of life, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, they lose weight as fast and as easily as people in their 20s and 30s on Brightline hmm. eating. Wow. And we all know it's harder to lose weight the older you get, right? So what gives? What What's happening? Well, um, the issue with weight loss after menopause or menopause is estrogen, right? Estrogen, women have more estrogens and estrogens plural because it's a class of hormones, right? Uh, men have some, but less. And it just tanks after menopause, menopause. It just goes way down. And estrogen has a facilitating effect on insulin, the fat storage and fat release hormone. And if you're eating processed foods still, you really need your insulin to be very effective to manage that when you stop eating sugar and flour and you do bright line eating, suddenly that levels the playing field. And all of a sudden your body is losing weight, like you're 20 years old again. So that's remarkable. Um, and then lastly, I just want to share a study that we did looking at what we call the psychosocial outcomes of doing bright line eating. So this is like, yeah, you lose a lot of weight, your hunger and your cravings go down, your peace and serenity with food goes up, but what else changes in your life? Well, what was notable about this study was how big the effect sizes were. So every uh, effect I'm going to tell you right now was so massive. I don't know if you know anything about statistics or scientific results, how they get published, but it's like P less than 0.00001. Like what that means is that the effect is so large, it's whopping. There's almost no possibility that it's due to chance. Like it's a huge effect. So here's the huge effects. People's happiness and quality of life goes way, way up. Mm. People's energy levels go way, way up. People's feelings of being loved, supported, and connected and not lonely anymore go way, way up. People's depression goes way, way down. And people's days of poor mental health go way, way down. And so then that was already exciting enough, but we we were curious because COVID had just happened and we were still collecting all these data. We were curious, would it still be true for the people who started the Brightline Eating Bootcamp in April and May and June of 2020 with all that they were going through? So we analyzed the data for that subset of people and compared it to people who'd started the boot camp well before or well after that. And you know what we found? It stunned me. We found that not only was it true for them, but it was the effects were significantly greater still, like significantly different and even more. And it just shows that that doing something like Brightline or doing Brightline eating in particular, I guess, um, builds in an incredible resilience against hardship. Wow. That's amazing. That's, yes. Congratulations. <laughs> like those are amazing results. And absolutely. Pretty- so Susan, as we wrap up this conversation, where can people find you Buy your book, which is great. You kind of touched on it in the early part of the conversation. Well, here's one book. You but I love books, it's just so. like a one day, like you said, 
Oh, you have four, four books. books. I have okay. four, four books. The first one, Brightline Eating. The second one is a cookbook. The third one is Resume, which is all about relapse, what to do when you relapse, how to orient toward relapse, and how to inoculate yourself against a pattern of chronic relapse. Um, and then the fourth book is The Daily Reader. Yeah. Yeah. The Daily Reader is great, though. I love books you can just pick up and read a day. There's a quote, there's a short paragraph, and then there's a kind of little snippet at the bottom. So where can people find you, learn more about Bright Eating, take the quiz, follow you, all the things? All the things at brightlineeating.com. B-R-I-G-H-T-L-I-N-E, brightlineeating.com. Yeah. Fabulous. Awesome. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. And Susan, one question we like to ask all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? Well, I guess in light of everything we've just been talking about, it's to thine own self be true. It's really knowing yourself and living in accordance of what exalts you, what serves you best and what brings your heart, you know, soaring, uh, every day. And for me, it's, it's a fair bit of structure and it's a lot of human connection and it's eating bright. It's eating bright. When my food is handled and my weight is handled, everything feels like it's going to be just fine, even if it's a really hard day. And when my food is off, no matter how great the day I can be at, you know, my best friend's wedding, it's a beautiful day. But if I'm in the corner, you know, feeling like I've just had one too many cookies, like I am not having a good day. So yeah, know thyself. I think that's great Beautiful. advice. Yes. Well, well thank, thank you, you so, much. so much. Yeah. This has been fascinating. I'm sure we could have talked for like another hour. Easily. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, have a great day. And thank, thank you, you for doing all this work. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's much needed. I think yeah. there's a lot of listeners out there that are really going to resonate and I honestly feel a bit of relief. Yeah, because there is a science behind it. There is a psychology behind it. There is something with your brain and your environment that has happened that has put you where you are today. And there's hope. I think more than anything, this conversation is very hopeful. So, and I'm going to go take that quiz because I haven't taken it yet. Yeah, yeah. curious. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll link that up in the show notes. Yes, too. we will. Cool. All okay, right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank yep. you. Bye, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.